Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, thank you, Jody. That wasn't an easy thing to read, especially when you're standing in evidently typhoon weather. Um, it, we all do it. We all do it. We get out there, we record, and then, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, sirens were going off all around where they were. It just, this happens. It's just fun, and I appreciate so much you reading. And we were trying to get uh, readers from different sections, different house churches to read. I right now I'm dragging my feet on that because really wrestling with what even to call the next series that we're going to have, but uh, it's it's going to be fantastic. It's on humility. Frankly, I nailed it. Um, <laughs> no, it's not on humility uh, at all. Um, instead, I do want to ask what, one favor. Uh, we every every so often, and I, I did it again. I said we. I receive really lovely emails about what Our Safe Harbor has meant to you, and some backstories even about maybe some church pain or family pain, or just about opening up scriptures. And what I do is I read those, and they really encourage me, and then I move on, and what I should have been doing is sending it to the rest of the team, uh, maybe scrubbing personal details. So I, this last week, I decided, you know something, the team needs these at least as much as I do. So Email us at info at rsafeharbor.com. Let us uh, encourage the local team, because there aren't that many of us. But when you come, you will be loved and welcomed, right, Jill? And where'd they go? They're somewhere in here. There they are. The lights are on me so much, I get a tan by the time the services are over. But right, Jill and, and Taylor, you, you are welcomed. You're brought in. We would love for you to, to make it into your plans to come here and to visit and if you can't come on a Sunday, it's all right. If you're passing through, let us know. One of us probably can get free to show you the soundstage. So just to, and also to greet you and to see you face to face. That said, we have today, then we have two more weeks looking at this kingdom manifesto, this Sermon on the Mount, where King Jesus lays out the rules for his kingdom. And all of it is a challenge. All of the Sermon on the Mount is a challenge. It is not hard to understand, but it is hard to live out, to obey. Perhaps chapter 7 is the hardest. And the hardest for, I would say, any particular group, but religious people. Because a lot of religious people think it's, it, Jesus is taking away part of their job. It's also hard for anybody in politics, because... It seems it's a part of politics or a part of religion to attack, to judge, to weigh others, as the fingers of God once said in a palace in Persia, and find others wanting or lacking. Well, we're about to hit a phrase, which is rather like those rubber hammers. Do you remember? Doctors don't do it too much anymore, but they would make you cross your legs and they whack your patella with that and you're... And they'd say, well, you're fine. And I'm going, that's not terribly diagnostic. Uh, um, 
do we, do we not have MRIs here? You know, I'm, I'm not sure what, what does this prove? It proves there's a nerve. Okay. But we have that kind of reflexive response every time we read Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Well, see, here's not only a don't do it, there's also a here's what happens if you do it. And Jesus doesn't do that very often in his teachings. You can go through and actually look for this. Very, by the way, very Jewish style, uh, that parallelism. You find it all the way through the Psalms. You find it through the Proverbs where something is stated. And then if you didn't listen to that one, this happens. And it's, it's very helpful. It's in a nice little neat package. And we go, uh, uh, um, uh, except, and, and, and other times we, we should. In fact, later on in this chapter, uh, Jesus will say, by your fruits, ye you shall know them. And I've heard many preachers in the tribe when I was growing up, my personal religious tribe, that would say, well, we're not judges, but we are fruit inspectors. In other words, disregard Matthew 7, 1 and 2. The sin of Adam and Eve in the garden was not eating fruit. It was deciding for themselves what was right and wrong. That was the original sin. We went over that in some detail in sermons uh, about a year ago based on Gregory Boyd's wonderful little book, uh, Repenting of Religion. And if you want a, a thorough, understandable way to look at the sin of Adam and Eve and how it has been passed to us and our attitudes and actions, then get that book. It's very much worthwhile. When you judge, you are assuming something. You are assuming that there is a standard and that the person you are judging has not reached that standard, has failed that standard. There's another word for that, and that's the word sin. The word sin that we use in, in, in the Greek in particular was originally a sporting term uh, and very often used in archery. You draw back the bow, you release the arrow. If it hit the target, fine, there were words for that. But if it missed the target, that word for missing the target became the word later in the Greek language that is used in the New Testament as the word sin. There's a target and you've missed it. When you judge others, you assume that you know the target, the standard, and that you can judge if they are up to that standard. You also are doing something else. And here's where I'm bringing my old life as a shrink, plus my current life in neuroscience and ministry, putting them all together. Because this really is where psychology meets neuroscience, if you don't know. It's in this little gate pathway, inside and out. You are acting as if you can read the mind of the offender, as well as their past, their options, their brain function, and their value. I want to say that again. When you judge another person, you are looking on the exterior, the outside, and yet you are assuming that you can read their inside, their past, their option, their brain function, and their value as a human. Let's use a silly example. Years ago, back shortly after the dinosaurs left and the earth was cooling, grocery stores used to have checkout people. Now, 
you may live in a place where they still have one. Human beings with name tags, which is, take a picture, because not going to be around long. Uh, I, I can remember one incredibly busy Christmas season that Walmart, uh, they had you know, 52 checkout lines and, and one checker. And they briefly considered adding a second one, but cooler heads prevailed. And so you had the long line. So now when you go in at Walmart, Kroger, Publix, or many of these others, you find that not only are you shopping there, you work there now. (laughs) And so you go and you do all of that. But back when there were checkout lines, I can remember going into the grocery store and there would be a sign up there, this checkout person, this lane is for people with 10 items or less. Do you remember those? Those were fun, weren't they? I can remember the first time I walked into Walmart, and I'm not bashing Walmart. If it wasn't for Walmart, I wouldn't have clothes or anything. So um, you, you go in, I know you could tell. Um, you, now when I go into to Walmart, they've got all of these checkout things. But I remember the transition. Do you remember the transition ones? Here are the express lanes, and their signs for, said, for 30 items or less, I'm going... That's not an express. That's a FedEx truck. Uh, I, but once again, people don't listen to me. So you walk in, and you got, you've got 10 items or less. And right as you're approaching, somebody swings in with enough stuff in that cart to feed and equip people for a month's trip down the Amazon. Gut check time. What'd you do? What'd you judge? Go inside. Let's root around in there for a bit. What did you do? Did you think of them as selfish? Uncaring? Did you think this was an act of injustice? If so, what you did is you observed what was happening in their outside. And you moved it inside. And you gave it meaning. A meaning that judged their motive personality, and lifestyle. And if you say, well, I've never done that, how are we going to trust you on anything else you say? Because it's a very natural thing. This last week, as I was driving um, Tennessee every now and then, just likes to take away a lane, just to see if you're paying attention. They, they will say things such as, fines doubled when workmen are, pr- are present. Which, as far as I can tell, are, is never, but... You, you go past them, and you all know what it is. Now, some states have a zipper rule. Uh, New Jersey is one of them that has big signs, and they enforce it, that you stay in your lanes till you get to that point, and you take turns. Tennessee's like most other states. We don't do that. We charge forward and glare at anybody who tries to get past us. It's a rule. Maybe, you know, throw out your door or something. I can remember waiting and waiting in a line, and about as I get up front, here come two big trucks, pickup trucks. Now, you know they've been cursed at by everybody else down the road, so you don't actually have to. The the cursing requirement has been met. And they cut in, and you feel, I want to ask you something. What did that do to you? How did that harm you? It didn't. It didn't harm you at all. What, three seconds? Five seconds? How, why would you be upset over something that didn't harm you? And yet, we do it. We move it inside, and we eat the fruit. 
We decide to know what is right or wrong, and this is injustice. They should get a ticket. They should be harmed in some way. Keep driving like that, and you're going to have an accident, I hope. (laughs) We do it with everything. We do it with tattoos. We do it with music. We do it with skin color. We do it with possessions. We do it with religion. Growing up, our standard answer was if you ask, why do the Catholics do this? Why do the Baptists do this? Why do the Methodists do that? Our standard answer, catechism was lengthy, but simple. Our response was, because they don't believe the Bible. If they were honest and read the Bible, they'd know it. We grew up, we even had little brochures called tracts in, in a slotted shelf mechanism stamped to the wall. Almost all of our tribe did. And going out, you could learn what all the sin other people were doing was. And how we got it right. And it didn't smack of arrogance because we truly believed we were doing our best. And I think we were. You know, and it's all right to to kid and laugh and look. But people did it with the best of, of motives. They were trying. I remember one particular track, a Greek sailor uh, had, had read his Bible and he's going, oh, this is or New Testament because that's all we used. And it was really exciting to him. And he, he arrived off a ship and, and here in America and he's walking around to all these different churches. But at this church, he notices they don't do it this way. So he goes to another church and he ends up, this is a shocker, it's a bit of a spoiler alert if you haven't got around to reading the track. He finds one of our churches where everything is exactly right. Now that's a Goldilocks story. But it's not reality. And what does it show? It shows something about us. We assume we know the motives of others. How about in politics? Have you ever heard, have, how many times have you heard, just even recently, any honest person would see it this way? If we're being honest with the facts, we'll see it this way. Wait a minute. What have you just done? You've taken your inside, put it outside, judged other people, gone inside their heads, and found them wanting. Um, that's not our job. The problem with judging is twofold. First, you are not any more qualified than Adam and Eve. I can assure you, to the best of my observational skills, humanity has not gotten any better at this since Eden. And second, when you set up a standard, it can then be used against you. I'm, remember bumper stickers? Some people still have them lot of them. But it used to be that that was our internet. It was how we told people what we were thinking and how they were deficient, where we liked to eat, what parks we had been to. Every so often at churches, they would hand out a bumper sticker that would say something like, follow me to the whatever church, or you know, uh, you know, you're welcome at this particular church. I have never in my life put one of those on my car. And the reason is sometimes I make mistakes. And I don't want anybody to go, well, we're not going to that church. You know, and you might think that's quite the high standard, but here's the thing. I think we should be very concerned that we not harm the reputation of Jesus. Good, good friend of mine, Don McLaughlin, minister for a long time in Atlanta. And he talks about trying to bring people in because he has a great heart for people on the street. And his stories reminded me of other stories I've heard. Um, one recently from a minister who 
had, was working with sex workers trying to, to show them the love of Jesus. And he asked them to come and just observe a worship service. And one of the ladies laughed at him bitterly. And she goes, don't you think we get judged enough? Why would I go there? Why would I go there and get judged more? And the story, he tells a story of a couple trying and actually throwing up out of anxiety in a parking lot. Because the reputation of Christians judging. Don't you think we'd like to fix that? I think we should fix it. Think about this. Jesus said later, those who live by the sword die by the sword. You see, that was another one. By the way, he was quoting a law there, uh, a, a law, a civil law, a criminal law there. He wasn't quoting something out of the Old Testament or prophets. He was quoting something, you know, a warning that that's the legal punishment there. But that's that same concept of judge not that you be not judged for whatever, however you judge will be judged against you. Whatever measurement you use will be measured against you. If you construct boxes in which to place people, you are building cages in which they may place you. We all know stories such as the family, it's always in a third world country <laughs> that they put where the, the mother is sick and so the mother must be brought in to live with her son and his family. And the wife does not like it. And so she carves a crude wooden bowl. And his mother, her mother-in-law must eat out of that because she shakes and she breaks things. And we can't hand her nice things. And she looks over and she sees one of her kids carving a bowl. And she goes, what are you doing? And they say, I'm carving this one when it's your turn. Now, I don't know that that ever happened. It doesn't sound like something that a preacher would find out about. But it is an illustrative story. When you build boxes for other people, you are building a cage they can put you in. Be very, very careful. Jesus reminds us to go inside when we are tempted to go outside with our judgment. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and when all the time, there's a plank in your eye. By the way, people would have been laughing. This was a hoot, semitically. <laughs> so, you know, don't, because he is, he's speaking in hyperbole to make a point. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We're going to stop there. Verse 6 is pretty interesting. We're going to stop right there. What's going on here? If you are spending your time, as one man told me, he, he'd retired, and I said, how do you spend your day? He says, I spend my day arguing with people on the internet about religion. Don't do that. Because what that would tell me, if you believe scripture, is that you have gone inside and found yourself pristine and clear of all sin. Instead of, like me, going inside and finding a lumber yard that I need to take care of. When people ask me, and they do, well, why don't you in your sermons at our safe harbor attack this sin or attack that sin or attack that? The reason is I am not qualified. I can read to you the scripture and tell you what God says about things, but I cannot attack any human being because I'm not qualified to do so. I still have planks in my eyes. Jesus said, your life is to go inside and clean up yourself. Your job is not to try to clean up the others. 
You just love and serve them. They will be drawn to the light. I've been asked several times rather vigorously by other Christians saying, listen, you could tear this guy apart. You got to debate him. No. Why? First of all, I don't want to tear anybody apart. Two, it's not my job. It's not my job. I go, by the way, sometimes I want to. Got to be honest here. Sometimes I want to because I'm thinking, oh, that's a low-hanging curveball. I didn't even grow up with baseball and I could crack that one. Uh, And yet, did you notice it's all I, I, I there? It becomes an ego thing. Need to go inside first. And there's enough there to keep me busy. At some point, religious people will, without fail, and I'll probably get emails this week, tell me, well, you have to judge some things. Or they'll say, when someone is obviously violating God's law, we aren't judging them. We're only letting them know of God's judgment. Technically, that may be true. I hear that. The thing is, I think that's very, very, very hard to do without teetering into judging their value, their intelligence, their honesty, and their relationship with God. You see, that's what happens. We don't just judge what we think is a sin. We then apply attributes to that person's value, standing with God. And that's not our job. Do you remember Jesus warned about saying racha or fool to, a, to or about a brother? He also warned us to keep our yes, yes, and our no, no. And don't add any more to it. I want to tell you, that's one of the hardest disciplines I've ever had in my life. Do not attack, do not defend, merely speak, and stick with what you said as long as you believe what you said. Just go yes or no. Do not expand the argument at all. We've used illustrations about that recently, so I won't go further. But basically, Jesus is just saying every human being has a lumber yard to clear. How long will that take you? Probably the rest of your life. I don't think anybody sits up in bed one day in their 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s and go, got it. We all have it. I know how disappointing that may be to the younger people who think that the older we get, the more righteous we get. Not necessarily. Uh, As I've said many times, the old dog on the porch still wants to chase cars. Just doesn't have the energy. And the only reason we don't sin as much is because we get tired and our back hurts. Jesus, our example in all things, even forgave those who were killing him, actively killing him. If anyone had the right and the opportunity to judge, it would have been Jesus, and he passed it by. What then makes us think that we, when we have the opportunity and the right to judge, should engage in such behavior? And Jesus did not. But what if your yes And what if your no is not sufficient to someone who wants to pick a fight with you? What if your love is rejected? What if someone blocks your best efforts and refuses to listen? Oh, Jesus deals with that too. Verse 6, chapter 7. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, is he calling people dogs or pigs. Looks like it, but no. <clears throat> he is instead, <clears throat> every Sunday, it's all right. 
Um, look, he's going to go get me some water. Sometimes water helps. <clears throat> Sometimes being younger helps, I've noticed. <laughs> anyway, uh, he is not calling them dogs and pigs. What he's saying is, would that not be a worthless endeavor? To give pearls to swine, to, uh, to give dogs sacred stuff. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. We always have water available. We believe in baptism. <clears throat> it's more water than this, mind you. It takes a few, but thank you. And by the way, if you haven't been baptized and you want to be all in with Christ, you need to be baptized. Let us know. Send us an email. We'll, we'll get to you or we'll find somebody to get to you. It's a promise. Take a uh, commercial break. <clears throat> ah, it, it's good. Even though I know what fish do in this. <clears throat> How many average kidneys that's been through? Anyway, um, science is our friend. You can love somebody, Jesus says, and need to disengage. You can still love them and not judge them, but need to disengage. Staying engaged isn't converting them. And you may be opening yourself up to brutal attacks time after time. Jesus says, don't do that. You can walk away. Sometimes it's the Christian thing to simply be quiet and walk away. And people will say, but, but, but who will help them? Um, did you ever read the story of Elijah in the cave? God has people everywhere. If you're not able to help them, move along, get out of the way, let God send somebody else. But this too. Somebody wrote me this week and I answered, I hope completely, if you're watching today and, and you don't think I got all of it, Email me back. They talked about a minister at least gave the impression that if you forgave somebody, you had to restore the relationship. No. Or that if you forgave somebody, you had to forget. No. He forgets sin because he can do that. We're humans. We can't do that. If I hired a babysitter and my children were still we and uh, the babysitter molested them or abused them or neglected them to the point where his criminality found out about it, call the authorities because an, a, a crime has been committed and it has harmed my child. They serve out their sentence. They are absolutely, genuinely converted, brought to Christ, repentant. Absolutely, we forgive them. Do we then hire them as babysitter again? Of course not. Sometimes you can forgive people at a distance and you never engage again and I know it sounds harsh, but Jesus is the one who gave us these rules. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, as you enter, see that's verse 12, it's a whole package here, but if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. In other words, let it go. Just let it go. Let it go and let God do it. He's got them move on. This sounds very harsh, but this is an act of kindness. You don't have to carry around people forever. When I ran a counseling practice for about eight years, um, it was known as the, the last resort because some of the courts and counselors and doctors in the area, when they could not figure out what was going on, they sent the person to me. And that sounds a bit arrogant until you realize the rest of the problem. I, don't, I didn't always find it either. But I'll never forget one lady who came in. She'd had back issues. And no one could doubt her, her pain. 
And yet she'd gone through every test we had in the late 80s, early 90s, and they could not find a physical cause for the pain. Now she sat down and looked at her tired face. I allowed some quiet time to go by, and then I just leaned forward and I said, so, who are you carrying around? And it was like, she looked at me, and I said, tell me about your, tell me about who you're carrying. And she started weeping and telling the story. Now, that did not miraculously cure her, but it got her better, and it got her to where other things could make her better. Sometimes, friends, you just need to lay those people down. You're not responsible for all these souls. It is not on you. You are free to move on and not even take the dust of that failed effort with you. God is the one who is in charge of souls. We are not. Preachers used to heap guilt upon us as a way to motivate us. Remember that? That was a pause for you to answer. I'm, I'm sure some still do. We used to sing songs like the incredibly maudlin and horribly timed song, You Never Mentioned Him to Me. I don't know if any of you remember that one. But the timing even of it was no song leader knew how to do the timing. And so in the chorus, we all parted ways. But it was, you know, if on that stand, and then you look across and over there are the doomed, and your neighbor says, you never mentioned him to me. And then at this point, rather, it's too late to get that information. Well, there were others. Will there be any stars in my crown? Send the light. We had evangelistic songs, even had little booklets we handed out. I remember the ones, you can still get it, still printed. Go ye means go me by Ivan Stewart. Sure, it was written in the best of intentions. He even called me a couple times when I first came to the States and wanted to uh, come to my church and do all sorts of, and I was going, no, we're, we're kind of busy. And he, he kind of treated me like, well, then you don't love Jesus. And I'm going, well, there we are, you know, um, fair enough. Thank you, doctor. Um, not all of us were called to be evangelists. Some of us were called to be teachers, healers, prayers, Some of us are called to care for others. Some of us were called for the different jobs. Look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 for a couple of the list. They're not comprehensive. There are many other gifts. I can remember we'd be in Scotland and my dad wanted to go door knocking and we'd get all this material. But we didn't have all the, sometimes all of the time to do all the doors. And so he would take one street and he'd hand me, and you go take that street. I loved that. Because I didn't knock on the door. I just kind of rubbed it a bit. You know, no one's there, a hoop, a hoop, a hoop. And then we all, you get your mail through a slot in the door. So I just, you know, I'm bound down, putting, one time I'm doing this and the door opens. And I freeze and the lady goes, can I help you? And I went, "Ah, can you shut your door? (laughs) I wasn't called to do that kind of work. I just wasn't. Maybe you're not called to do that kind of work. Stop with the guilt then. Love the people where you are with what you've got. That'll do. That'll do. As hard as it is to fathom, read Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and take it 
as God removing the burden of judging and fixing other people off your shoulders. And imagine life without feeling the need to judge, to give your opinion, or to correct others. Welcome to a life that acknowledges that we are subjects and only he is king. Taylor, would you come back up, please? And we're going to do an, another old song that you know. Uh, we were practicing this yesterday, and thank you, Taylor. He came up with an arrangement of it, which didn't require seven fingers. And <laughs> I kept looking at it before he came, going, this is going to be... That I don't have a piano. Uh, we do have one back here, but none of us play it. So, um, but you, you found a great... Great one. We're going to go through it instrumentally, then sing it, and instrumental again, and then sing. Let's remember who is our king, and that Jesus being king is good news. <laughs> 